we're back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Emergency Nine Golf Podcast. I am Mike here with McLean and Jay. We are back for another episode. I hope you boys are doing well. How's it going out there, gents? Wonderful. Just fantastic Florida <laughs> fantastic. evening. Fantastic Florida evening. Don't know how it is where you guys are, but it's uh <laughs> it's a balmy about 75 out right now. I've got shorts and short sleeves, flip-flops on. Um How's the weather up there where you guys are? It's actually it was a beautiful day here in Richmond. It was yeah. mid yeah. mid seventies and sunny. So yeah, okay. Suck That's on that, Florida. Nice. Yeah, take that. That's take cool. That two, two seasons. You want to you want to you want to compare ten days, motherfuckers? <laughs> no, we're good. We'll just stay there. Okay. Just check. That's all right. Jay and I were just talking. We're going on a trip to Boston this weekend. Um, and I'm I'm from there. Not many people go to Boston in November, but we are. We, so, we are. So, it. It'll be fun. We're spending most of our time in a casino gambling and drinking. So I remember the only reason yeah. people goes up there is for funerals at this time of year. Oh wow. Wow. <laughs> Love you. So, Love you. Yeah, yeah. Go fuck yourself. As they would <laughs> as they would say up there. Uh, so I gotta say, last episode, Jay and I get into it. Did we? And now now I understand. So I have I have a rule in my golf shop. You can't, my assistants and my staff are not allowed to put on first take on ESPN because Stephen A. Smith, just like fucking yelling at another guy back and forth, just drives me nuts. And I don't know how him and Skip Bayless and Max Kellerman, and all these guys make so much money just yelling nonsense at each other. Then Jay and I did it last week and everyone comes up and tells me how much they love the episode. <laughs> That's terrible. I so, hate those. I hate those shows. I hate listening to Skip Bayless and Stephen A. Like it just drives me bonkers. I turn it off. Immediately. I can't stand Stephen A. I, I, I just but can't stand. They oh, are on TV. They are, they are on they TV are making millions of dollars uh, with mega contracts. And yeah. I feel like every time there's a fight on this show, whether it's me and McLean or me and Jay or me and McLean or me and Jay, it's always me. <laughs> um, <laughs> That people comment and love it. They comment and well, yeah, whatever. They comment and they love it and they find it interesting. So hopefully everyone listened to last week's show. Jay and I just beat a dead horse over and over and over again because we're both and stubborn and stuck again. on our points and we won't move. <laughs> we think we're gonna move each other and change each other's minds, but it's not Never. gonna happen. Never. Uh, the horse us. was buried three separate times in one episode. It was like you buried him, and then all of a sudden, one of you fuckers dug him up. They're like, "Let's beat this shit out of him one more time. We'll bury it, and we'll we'll do this one more time. It's it's gonna be fun. Our listeners well, are gonna McLean, appreciate." Well, it. then McLean, you missed it because then after the episode was over, we you know we hung out and talked for a little bit, and then you left, and Mc- Jay and I just kept going at it, just the two of us. One I on one. It. I believe it. I. I couldn't hear you two defend the same point anymore. I was literally like, I, I can't hear this anymore. My ears are ringing. Um, I've got to call it a night. Yes, yeah. I have well, that's kind of what I did at some point. I think I looked at Jay. I'm like, all right, I'm tired. I'm going to bed. Like just right in the middle of our argument. And neither one of you changed each other's mind. That was apparent no, that it was no. not going to happen. No, you no. still have the same belief and it's all good. We all separate as friends as we all do. But um, well, yeah, the other no, thing it, too is Jay and I know each other pretty well. And yeah. we know that we're not yeah. going to change each other's minds, although we both were still dead set on like, I'm going to change his mind. No, 
I'm going to change his mind. <laughs> Without question. Right now, currently, you both think you're wrong. That's that's still exactly where the state of state of affairs is at this point. <laughs> it, I will say this. I've had a lot of people comment on that topic. It's a, definitely a topic that I want to come back to. I do think people find these this whole other circuits around the world interesting and is worth more debate as more comes out about it. So yeah, I'm sure we will we will talk some more about it, maybe in a little bit of a better manner. We'll still yell at each other a little bit, but a little bit. Try not to try to beat the dead horse so much. Yeah. Well, so. I'm I'm hoping that we're gonna get some sort of reach out from the Bermuda championship or the Bermuda tourism industry because we had to mention that event more than any other media outlet her episode uh period uh, yeah, but to, jay, so. jay, jay wasn't saying good things i don't want to fucking watch the bermuda championship yeah, but the word bermuda was said more times in one golf media episode whatever you want to call it um than anywhere else in the world i guarantee Actually, i mclean didn't you text me during the argument and you said what tournament is this next is coming up next week? <laughs> it was just like no, yeah. as it was Bermuda last week. I can't remember. I you know. <laughs> Oh, that's fun. It uh, was actually fun. Mikey texts me. He goes, I was watching the uh the video playback and I didn't realize how often you just sat there laughing at us. <laughs> yeah, I was oh, so you watched it? it. So you go back and watch the video? No, so normally I just go back and listen when I edit it, but for some reason I'll go back, I'll watch it occasionally just to look at people's facial expressions. <laughs> and so I listened to 10 minutes of it on the video when I was watching the actual video of it. And McLean is just sitting back with this huge fucking grin, just giggling to himself, listening That's to great. us go round and round and round yelling at each other. As a person who's often involved in controversy, watching controversy happen in front of your face, like watching it unfold right in front of you is one of the absolute best things in the world. I mean, I thrive on it. It was it was awesome. Yeah, because, you know, you don't have to defend yourself at all. You're just like, man, I can just sit back and just watch and listen. And it's entertaining. It's like watching your wife flip her shit on someone else. (laughs) It's amazing. You just sit there like, yeah, I know what that's like. Uh-huh. Yep. Been there. Been there. Well, then you were you were making some valid points, but Jay and I pretty much ignored all of them and just went after each other. Yeah. I didn't hear a word that you said, McLean. No, <laughs> I, we, I was irrelevant. <laughs> I was irrelevant. When I, I would start talking and you guys would start getting angry because it was not allowing you to get to your next point with each other. I was literally just in the way, hence how I ended up sitting back and chuckling uh, the remainder of the evening. Oh, Uh, man. So short story long, short story long. Now I know why Stephen A is loaded. So neither one of you validified your points at all. Oh, what a great! Oh, that nerd. is that is going on a T-shirt. We were just talking about that. that. I mean, I think hashtag validify. Or can we get on some new lids? Do we get validified just right here on the side or across the back? I mean, that would be you know that is that's we are we are a validified po- golf podcast. Or just get hats just say validified across the front. That'd be <laughs> that is awesome. Get them where you fit in. I mean. How many times do people would stop you and like, what, what does that what say? Is, what, that's, what is that? It's not a word. Yeah. Oh, Words that aren't real for 200, Alex. <laughs> oh, come on. Alex is dead. Too soon. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. 
All right, let's th- let's talk about this week's golf action. Is that Maya Koba tournament? Jay doesn't want to watch, although he made the cut there. I I do want to watch Maya Koba. I said the Bermuda <laughs> Championship. That's different. <laughs> Maya Koba is a great tournament. This was a decent field. There were some good names up there. Victor Hovland defends at Maya Koba, back-to-back champ. His third win on tour. McLean is still giggling. <laughs> you okay over there, pal? He just reignited it. No, I'm not watching Bermuda. Like, I just feel like we're right back where we left off, and I love this. Can we talk about the Bermuda Championship a little bit? I don't feel like it's been covered. Honestly, oh, I can't remember who won the Bermuda Championship. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't even know what week terrible? it was. Jay, do you? I don't. I don't remember who. I don't remember who won either. That's bad. That's terrible. It was only oh. a week ago. <laughs> I feel like I've stumbled upon a rabbit hole. And I'm right on the right on the edge, yeah. looking in. Like, come on, I'm ready. If you guys uh, are gonna do it. You anyway, know. anyways, <laughs> we did watch the. The uh, tournament in uh, at Mayakoba, which it changed names. What's the what's the name of it again? I, I, I give up on some of these <laughs> names now. Um, it was like the Worldwide Technology Championship yeah. at Mayakoba or something yeah. like that. Hey, shout out to Worldwide Technologies for being a sponsor. As often as the names change, it's great that we have sponsors willing to step up and help fund these events that entertain us in the golf world. Sure, I mean, nice. Was that, was that a public service announcement for the PGA Tour and? Gaining sponsors? No, there's a moment of you know me not being a bag of douche because I'm a fan of golf and <laughs> this company this company stepped up and provided us shit. But you guys you guys pick your battles. Didn't provide, you guys, didn't provide you guys, me anything. You guys do Victor Hovland stuff. Hey, hey, get him where you fit in. <laughs> <laughs> but, but he is right. I mean, some of these guys out there, not, most of them are pretty good. Sometimes they forget. <clears throat> it's not, know, they're hey, not NASCAR guys out there. Yeah, I mean, it's not free. Like, somebody else is putting up the money for these guys to play. I mean, and I, I'd say most of the guys are pretty good. But some of them lose sight of it sometimes when they become – if they're getting sponsorship dollars, you know, they they rely on that. And they're like, hey, I'm a big deal. I make $5, $10 million a year sponsorship. And they forget that, hey, somebody else – a sponsor is paying, you know, however, however much money each week, depending on the event, for you guys to play. And if they didn't do that, you don't have a sponsorship deal. You don't have the $5, 10 oh, yeah. 15 $20 million in your pocket. Because people aren't watching you play when there's no, you know, no one, you know, you're not playing for a million plus every week. Um, but it's funny how quick some of these guys forget about that it's, when they it is the money. They need to do a better job of that. Yes, you're right. But I'm also glad it's not NASCAR because when you hear NASCAR get into a post race interview, these guys, it takes like eight minutes to. Well, I first I, I just got to thank all my sponsors. Toyota cars are phenomenal. You know, yeah. I got Pennzoil oil and they all couldn't do it without them. And you know, Goodyear tires are great. <laughs> I got a nice bump for my Coca-Cola that I had before the race, really get me the caffeine to get through it. And, you know, I just want to thank Trojan for all the condoms that they supply me when I bang the whores in my trailer after play. Thanks. <laughs> you know, like, it's like, okay, boys, let's go. Hey, that Jim Fur- Jim Fur- was rocking right the NASCAR logos a couple of years ago. Remember he was rocking that five-hour energy hat? Yeah. I'm sure he rode that all the way to the bank. But regardless, <laughs> he, had, he had a logo everywhere. I mean, I think he sold the inside of his pants. I got nothing. <laughs> Yeah, so, that is – I mean, there's a couple guys that do that. Bryson has a tendency to get in there and start hamming it up with his yeah. sponsors or, or you know, bashing them, I guess. He, he does or just both, avoid – or, or avoiding the media at all costs now. Yeah. yeah. So – but let's go back to Victor Hovland. We did have one of the world's top players 
wins, defends his title at Mayakoba. Played solid. I mean, this was one of those birdie fests that we see. 23 under, wins by four over uh, Carlos Ortiz. Then you got, you got JT, Scheffler, Wolf, um, you know, right there behind them. Joaquin Neiman. I may have picked Hovland and Joaquin Neiman, just saying. Although, <laughs> Did you win? Did you win no, I, I, I didn't. I actually had I had four guys make the cut, and they all finished in the top 15. But Mr. McLean Boyd had a solid field. He had all six guys make the cut, and they all finished like the top 30. Oh, wow. Hey, that's good. Yeah, he had a pretty solid squad. So um, I thought I was doing well, and I looked at his squad, and I wasn't. But I did pick Victor uh, to win. So I guess some of the things that came out you know, from play – one just real quick note: He won with somebody else's driver, which was I thought was remarkable. That's so bad. he, if you don't know this story, people, he lent his driver earlier in the week. I think it was Wednesday to Danny Lee on the driving range, and Danny Lee's been doing some speed training, and he wanted to see how far Danny Lee could hit his own driver because it's like an inch longer than what Danny was using. Danny Lee takes a lash at it and breaks the shaft in multiple spots. <laughs> That's nuts. I mean, Hovland doesn't swing slow by any means. No, not at all. <clears throat> and so James Hahn happened to be there and had pretty much the same driver, same shaft, just shorter in length from what Hovland was using. And I guess probably because it was being down in Mayakoba, I doubt they had. There's no no trailers there. No trailers down there, right? They don't have the tour vans to make them something up real fast. So yeah. he lent them. I don't know why Hovland didn't have a backup with him. That's kind of surprising as well. That's crazy. But yeah, James Hahn loans him his driver, and I think he finished second strokes gained driving the ball this week with somebody Maybe else's he, driver. He the said he hit it a little shorter and a little flatter because it was, um, I think it was a little shorter than what he was playing. Same shaft, but a little shorter than what he was actually playing. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it goes to show. I am so scared to go down a rabbit hole here with this, but you know, we talk about the distance debate all the time and uh, all of a sudden you take a guy who self admittingly says early in the week, I'm hitting this a little shorter um, than I do my normal driver and a little bit lower. And maybe it just happened to play better for this particular course, but long story short, he, he self admittingly said he's playing a driver that he hits shorter and goes and wins the golf tournament. Which I think of, and they probably, if you guys listen to the broadcast, I mean, the guys, it, it's, it, the fairways are pretty wide for the most part, but it's fairway hazard. It's fairway hazard every single hole. I mean, pretty much every single hole you're hitting into the, you know, the, the jungle, the thick underbrush. And, you know, it's, and it's windy. I mean, you can get a, a couple of days, it wasn't that windy. And that's why the guys were tearing up the first two days. But if you get any type of wind out there, a crosswind on some of these holes. It's like, man, you miss hit it just a little bit. It's not like, Oh, I, I fanned it into the trees. It's like, Oh, I need to, I've got to either re tee if it's, if it's not marked hazard or I've got to go up and drop. And, you know, having that, um, you know, that in the back of your mind, knowing like, Hey, I'm, I'm not hitting it as far, but I'm hitting it flatter. I'm keeping it below the wind, less spin. Like the fairways are pretty wide. As long as I get it moving in the right direction, then I'm, I'm going to keep the ball in play. Um, and I think, um, I was watching Matt Wolf. He obviously got up to such a, a good start. I know we want to talk about Victor and how well he played, but uh, Matt Wolf was just off to an incredible start of the first two rounds. And I was watching the coverage, and he was hitting 
his two iron or three iron off the tee on some of these holes. And I'm like, he cannot, he's, I, I said right there and, and no one was there to listen. So no one knows if I really said this, but I said it to myself. I was like, if a tree not, falls in the woods, does it make yeah, a sound? Does it make a sound? But I was to myself, I was like, he, he cannot win this tournament. If he can't, if he's not going to hit his driver, it's, no, it's, you're, he's not going to win. Like he was hitting uh, on seven or uh, 16. It's a 515 yard uh, par four. And he was hitting a two or like a two iron or three iron off the tee and leave himself like two twenty, two thirty 230 in. I'm like, that, that you you can't you can't win doing that like these guys you just got to hit your driver and hit it straight like if that fairway's decently wide it's not like i mean oh, like, it, why are you laying back so far like you're you, you know you must have been hot early but it's not gonna last it was tight up in the landing zone where like jt was bit. hitting it for example it did tighten up up there but at the end of the day it did it played towards a cut and matt wolf during the third round hit an iron off the tee and and fatted it a, a shade he had 270 yards in, almost didn't get it to the fairway. And it, it, you're exactly right. You can't win a golf tournament doing that. Uh, he was currently leading. He ended up making whatever he did on that hole. I don't remember exactly, but I remember sitting there looking at it going, what in the hell is he doing? Like I mean, he would at least like, I mean, well, if you hit driver, there's a bunker or down the right side. If you hit driver and hit it into that bunker as a tour player, you have a better chance of hitting a eight, seven iron out of a bunker than you do hitting a a hybrid or fairway wood or whatever it is you have to hit over yeah. 230 yards. Those fairway um, those fairway bunkers are so firm and tight. Like blast your driver up there, the ball's gonna run out. You're gonna have you would have had a like you said a seven iron eight iron in. I mean granted yeah. the you know that back that back pin is pretty tough. You know you've got bunker and then you've got uh like a it's like a a creek that's like a wide channel to the left of the green. So great. I can fly it to the flag and really create some spin out of that. Yeah, sand. Exactly. So I, I don't know. I just, I didn't like the game plan. I thought, I thought he was able to get the most out of it the first couple of rounds. Um, but I think you got to be able to adjust if the wind changes, you, you can't just say, this is what I'm hitting off the tee. And I don't know. I'm, I'm sure that they, they, they didn't do that, but, but it did seem like they were, they're like, all right, I'm hitting this iron off of these tees, no matter what. And it's just too. Some of those holes are too long to to hit hit an iron off of, and you're just gonna if you miss it. You know, it's like remember when uh, Phil Mickelson, um, when he took he didn't he took a driver out of play at one of the one of the opens, and he was like, I'm gonna play these two three woods, and I was like, dude, if you uh, just because you're dropping back to a three wood doesn't guarantee you're gonna hit the fairway. Like you can still miss it a three wood, and now you're 20, 30 yards further back. Now you got no shot to get to the green out of the thick rough. I was like. And that's the whole point behind this bomb and gouge. You know, these guys are like, all right, I'm going to hit as hard as I can. I'm going to have a short iron into the green and, and I'll still be able to get something up or around the green. Whereas if you lay back too far and miss the, miss the fairway, now you're, you know, now you got no shot. So I was always a big proponent of hitting. I hit driver. If I can hit if, unless there is like the fairway runs out or there's like a dog leg where I can't curve it around, I'm going to hit driver on every single hole. Um, and I'm going to hit it. If, if it's a 500 yard par four with a 15 yard wide fairway, I'm sending driver as far as I can, as hopefully as straight as I can. Cause I hit my, you know, most people hit their driver almost as straight as it at three wood. You've got your random few that were like, Oh, I only hit three. That's wood. bullshit. My, that's bullshit. You hit your driver just as far offline as you hit your three wood. That, that's, what I mean. a, that's a bullshit statistic. And yeah. the, the fact that goes along with it is that you will spin a three wood at a higher degree than you will spin a driver. So it is easier to curve 
said three would because you were creating a higher spin rate. So you hear that all the time. And I, I'll, yeah. I always go back to playing with my dad and hitting a three wood off a tee one day. And I hit it. I hit a three wood and he's, we got in the cart and he said, well, buddy, what, what were you trying to do there? I said, well, I was trying to hit the fairway. He goes, let me assure you, you can hit that three wood just as far offline as you can hit that driver. If not more hit the driver every chance you have. And I've done that since then. And now that I've gotten much older and, and because of my profession, I've learned to understand why that actually is the case. Now yeah. there's a comfort factor for a three wood, because when this is where I attribute this to three wood is the club that most people change in their bag least often. So for the most part, there is a comfort factor with everyone's three wood that they have because they change drivers every six, eight, 12, 18 months, whatever it is. Most three woods in people's bags tend to last a little longer than that. That's probably one of the longest cycled clubs in someone's bag. So you have guys that go to their three wood for a comfort factor, but statistically there's nothing that backs that up to say that a, a, a three wood is more accurate than a driver. Statistically, it's actually probably the opposite direction. Yeah. I would yeah. like to see I, what I would like to see people do. Cause I think you're right is actually just choke down on the driver. Right. I think part of what people get a little bit more comfortable with is, is, is the three wood being so much shorter, a little bit easier to control. So that's where their perception of I can control this on the fairway more. But I would rather just someone just choke down two inches on the driver and swing away at that. I think you're going to hit that straighter than the three wood. No, Anthony Kim action. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I mean, anyway, I, I know, you know, we were kind of talking about Hovland. I mean, that 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 kind of goes to what we were talking about, too. Here, here he is hitting a you know, a driver with a inch shorter shaft down the where found the fairway more, more often still hitting driver. He probably hit that driver straighter than, than Matt Wolf hit that two iron or three iron. If we went back and looked at the stats, I mean, it's hard to tell. You don't know which holes he hit what, but yeah. Um, so that guy's pretty good. Yeah. So I got a couple of notes I gave you guys, you know, this afternoon was, so this is his third win now. But two are at Mayakoba, one's at Puerto Rico, not the strongest fields. Hell, they're not even in the United States. I don't know if that really matters or not. But it does. Is it, it does. Is it, is it time for him to start winning something big? I mean, you look at, you know, a, a, one of his peers that he came out of school with, Colin Morikawa, has already won two majors and a world golf championship. Well, look, look, there's no reason that the media and uh, no names like us seem to start putting pressure on the guy. He, he's being paid very handsomely, carving out one hell of a career. It's just a matter of whether or not he turns out to be a top tier player or one of the one of the guys that's just never loses his card, plays the tour forever, has a couple of wins he sprinkles in. You know, if you look at a guy like Charles Howell the Third, for example, a guy that's never in jeopardy of losing a card has a handful of wins, had a crazy long winless drought because of his infamous putter woes, if you will. But, and I'm not trying to compare exact games, but if you look at a guy like Victor Hovland, doesn't have a lot of wins. If he, if he wins, if he doesn't win major events but stays on tour, which it looks like he has the game to play well and have a lot of top 25s, um, to me, he reminds me of a guy who can – play the tour for a long time and make a ton of cuts, keep his card. I don't know that he wins a ton in big spotlights, but I think he does have an opportunity to be a long-term term, long-term 
tour player. So looking at his numbers in the majors, um, he's played in eight majors. He has made the cut seven times. Pretty good. No top tens though. Couple handful of top twenty fives. Half of them have been top twenty five, so that's strong. World golf championships. He's only had one top yeah. ten, and then a couple others like way back of the pack, fortieth, thirty sixth, fifty ninth, in some of the world golf championship events. I mean, so, I think you know not to. I know you're reading off the stats, Mikey, but no, you're good. I think um, I think the chipping really. I mean, if you want to be a, 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 a he's gotten way better though. Tier, He's, He's gotten, gotten better. better. He, he has gotten better. But if you want to be a top tier player, I mean, when I say top tier, I mean like you want to be like top fifteen in the world. JT top 10 in the world, you've got to be a pretty complete player. I mean, and you yeah, can't have a, you can't have a you don't have to be the absolute best chipper. You don't have to have like you know Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson hands, but you've got to be pretty solid to where coming down the stretch at a major, you're gonna miss greens. You've got to be able to get up and down, you know, save par in these in these majors. You know, PJ Championship, US Open, typically have pretty thick rough. You've got to be able to. You're going to miss fairways. Got to find a way to get the ball up and down. I mean, and then then you go to Augusta. I mean, granted, guys make a ton of birdies, but you're going to miss a lot of greens. You know, just maybe hitting in the wrong quadrant, ball you know funnels off. You've got to be able to have some imagination and chip. And he hasn't really showed that yet. I think he's showed everything else. Drives the ball great. Great iron player. I think he's a pretty decent putter, um, but again, to win those, you know, he's a decent putter. I mean, but to win those majors, you've got to you've got to have a pretty complete game all the way through from tee to green. Um, no, you're you're exactly right, Jay. And when you talk about those top fifteen guys, they don't have an identifiable weakness in their game. No, they don't. Not, you not could say that they excel. Well, no, you could say that they excel in certain areas, but they're not they're not in others. Yeah. They're not weak in others. You know. Yeah. Uh, a la Justin Thomas is probably to me the most pound for pound for pound complete player on the planet. Um, you know, he drives the ball pretty good, great iron play, great around the green shipping wise and a good putter. He, he excels in I think his iron play, but he, he doesn't, he just doesn't suck anywhere. That's the difference between those top 15 guys where, you know, even Victor, he made a couple of long par putts after getting up and down um, on Sunday. And I don't think you can count on that, especially when you're making a 15 footer at a U.S. open venue, buddy, that, that may have six feet of break in it. It's not like it's right edge. Yeah. Those, Um, those greens are super flat past power. It's a a different game. Yeah, you can get away with not being very accurate and uh, accurate um, on on when in chipping and you know make a 10 15 footer for par and but like you said if you're if you miss that poorly uh, or that badly in a in a US Open venue uh PJ Championship venue you're going to get exposed. Masters you're going to get exposed, yeah. 100%. So, you know, he he's admitted he's a bad chipper. You know, even the the quote came out last year when he won this event. He was like, "Yeah, I, I suck at chipping." You know, so he obviously knows that uh, you look at look at the stats, it's pretty clear. But I thought this stat was crazy in the strokes gained era, and I'm not positive how far back the strokes gained. I guess oh, I'm sorry. Uh January first, two thousand four is when they started. Uh ball striking statistic, strokes gained all time since two thousand four. Number one, Roy McElroy. Wow. Number number two, Tiger Woods. Number three, Victor Hovland. Wow. 
So I'm not totally surprised. I mean, the guy is a good ball striker and hits the guy long. If he's got anything over 75 yards, he's fucking solid. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, that number four was Colin Morikawa. So we always talk about how, how great his ball striking is, you know, but then you look at JT. Uh, hold please. He, so this list I only have is top ten. Uh, five oh, he's is not on it. Yeah, he is. Five is Rom. Six is um, Adam Scott. Seven is Sergio. Uh, oh, hey Jay, what are you wearing tonight? I got my Sergio face T-shirt on that Mikey gave me. <laughs> it's just plastered with Sergio's face. I told him when I put this shirt on, I felt like a, an incredible ball striker. And then you asked me if I feel like kind of a douchebag too. Yeah. Is, is that from that <laughs> website you guys were telling me about? www.awesomeshit.com. <laughs> yeah, it's, the only, it's the only thing on there. This is awesome. Uh, JT is, stays in business. To answer your question, JT is 10th. It goes Rom, Scott, Garcia, DJ, Hideki Matsuyama. JT is 10th on that list. And that's all, they, all I'm, I'm looking at here. Well, you know what? It's funny because most of the guys, all you listen to or that you listed, JT is a better putter than. Yeah, he is for he Tiger. Was, uh, yeah. Except I said most of. Yeah. Most of, but if you look at the Rom, Sergio, um Hovland, Morikawa, you know, I, I would take JT in a putting contest ninety nine million times out of a hundred. It's funny. Yeah, so I don't, there's we don't this, need to, we don't need to go down that road again. We've no. already <laughs> Already drilled wanna, that in enough. I know Mike didn't want to hear me talk do about. Do you want to go? That's, ball strike. No, just the ball strikers always. You know the tee to green. I mean, we we all we all know that. I think we've 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 hit that on that a couple times. Yeah. Yeah. But so pretty, taking it back to Hobble. Does anyone though, have the field for the Bermuda next year? <laughs> no one's no one's committed yet. No uh, Dustin ever. Johnson's not on that strokes gain tee to green. No, Top he was ten? nine or he was nine eighth and ninth. Oh, okay, okay, that makes sense. I was because he's. Pretty, he's pretty good. You know, uh, he was, as far he, was as he drives it and as straight as he drives it. Good wedge player. Yeah, he was eighth. Yeah, I mean, so you look at look at Victor Hovland's stats last year on the PGA Tour around the greens. He was 124th putting. He was 99th. Just yeah. not not great. You know, hell, I mean, I know he's only played only played three events this season. Um. As you look at the stats, he is 229th around the green right now. Is he really? No, he just won. I mean, honestly, if if I were to pick pick one of the two, you know, let's just separate, you know, ball striking, you know, drive tee to green. When I say tee to green, I mean like, you know, your driver and your any iron play. Short game, you know, let's say within you know 30, 40 yards of the green. Would you rather be a great chipper or pitcher or a great putter? I think. In his situation, I would choose to be a, a great, a better pitcher of the golf ball, um, because I, I think, like we've talked about, the strokes gain you can lose a lot of shots being a poor, a poor uh, having a poor short game. But once you're on the green, it's really tough to lose that many shots against the field with putting because it's just the margins for error are, are so small and so tight because. Um, you know, just not that, you know, you can only miss it, but so far offline when you're putting, um, but like you can chunk three or four chips in a row and he's, he's done it. You oh, know? Yeah. So, you know, that's a, that's, that's pretty big. Um, but all those guys that you mentioned in that, t- in that top 10 list, you know, strokes gain T to green, almost all those guys have great short games and not putting, not necessarily putting, but 
have great around great the hands, a great feel around the yeah. greens. Yep. Um, actually, as I'm looking at this list, they have a bunch of the stats of this. This this is a uh, Kyle Porter from CBS Sports covers the golf. He's the one that put this out on this list around the green of that top ten. He's the only one negative around the green. There you go. And he's the only one that hasn't won a major. That is accurate. Yep. So there we go. I mean, I think, you know, we're just, you know, solidifying what we're talking about. I think if you want to win those majors, he's going to have to figure it out. He can't, he can't, I mean, he will probably win another handful of times on tour. He'll pick those easy events where, you know, it's the roughs down. He can drive it straight, hit a bunch of greens. He'll maybe miss two or three greens and, you know, whatever. He may make a bogey, but made six birdies and he'll win. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I want him to get his short game straightened out because I think I, he can be part of the future of this unbelievable PGA tour. He, he's got a, I was just I trying to get it. you going from last week. Um, <laughs> but he's no, got- I, I like his personality. I like his interviews after the round. He, he seems, um, he seems pretty humble and, you know, like I, and last year, he's not afraid to say, yeah, I suck at chipping. Like some guys would that. never say that. Right. I, yeah. I, I love that. He's super the, honest about it. Yeah. It's kind of cool. And he's not, it's so lighthearted. He's just like people asking questions. He just doesn't get bent out of shape about stuff. He's like, ah, and doesn't, you know. doesn't he drive? Doesn't he take like a bus for most of it? He's got like a tour bus on a van. I don't think he, he used to drive around flying. the country versus flying. Really? This when he first that. came out. Yeah. Um, That's cool. But anyways, I, I hope he gets it done, you know, in bigger events because he, he's up there a lot in the smaller events. But when you look back, I mean, no top tens in a major yet. You yeah. know, at, with that good of a ball striker, I mean, yeah. you, you almost have to. You're just going to luck yourself into if you hit the ball that good in these events, yeah. especially. I mean, that's what majors are about is ball striking. Yeah. Um. So I, I don't know if there's a if there's a mental thing there or what it is but um it was good to see him get it done anything else on victor javi javi pride of javi get you a major usam winner so the other big news that came out actually i think this news came out as jay and i were yelling at each other last week (laughs) the pga tour has officially and they had rumored about doing this this summer has officially banned green reading books and are now making them use committee-approved yardage books. A move that I like them getting rid of the green reading books. We've we've talked about it before. Like, let's it's a skill. I think it it is a skill to read a green properly, and it can be learned. And so I don't know what looking down at a a map that has all the arrows and slopes and percentages down there for you does. It doesn't really say, yeah, yeah, I'm a good green reader. No, you just looked at a fucking book. Like anyone can do that. What I don't like about the new rule is they're not allowing the guys to use any devices during practice to measure things. And so guys can make notes on the, on the yardage books that they get but they can't use anything to measure. So a lot of these guys use these digital levels out there to find percentage of slope, whether it's one and a half, two, two and a half, three, whatever it is. It's to me, it's like, well, then why don't you ban track mans? Cause they're using track mans on the range. So using track mans and, and, and 
uh, launch Mars. The guys are bringing them out to the golf course when they do practice rounds. So th- that's technology and a device to see how a ball is traveling on a, on a given course in a given condition. So why can't they use whatever they want during the practice rounds to figure out the stimp of the greens, to figure out the slope of the greens? That I don't like. I, I love the fact that they're, they're limiting the information that these guys are going to get in the book that's just going to be given to them. And it's more going to be about going out and finding the information and having a good caddy to go do some work ahead of time. But if, if you can use a track man, why can't you use a level to figure out what the slope of a green is? Uh, I don't know if you're, yeah, I don't know if you're going to like me saying this, Mike. We're going to argue we, again. We could get after it, but let's go. Um, no, I'm joking. I actually agree with you hundred percent. I think, <laughs> I think in uh, this corner, I think, uh, I, I, I think that's weird. You try to ban something in a practice round, the use of a training aid or something in a practice round. There, there's no standard. I mean, you can, Whatever, I mean, why are you gonna why are you gonna pick that over some of the other training aids, like you said, a track man or, or using a range uh, a rangefinder on the, in a practice round? What difference does it make if they want to if they want to walk the greens and take their own notes? Then they can take their own notes, but they can't have something that's provided to them. You know, if they want to put their own notes on on a book, then hey, I did all the hard work, I put it all down. That should be up to them to figure out what they want to do. I don't I don't agree with that. And I don't, I don't know what their reasoning is. Maybe they think that's going to guys are going to take too long to try to do this. My opinion is if they have to do it themselves, because I remember when they didn't have the green reading books and guys were doing this. And I remember looking at them. I was like, man, that's good information. And I remember thinking you're nuts that you're going to go around to every single one of these greens and pick out four pen positions and jot all this stuff down. If you think you're going to do it. And then all it takes is for them to move that pen placement six feet over to the right. And now you don't have the right numbers. And now you're looking at your book and you, it didn't take long for guys to be like, you know what? I'm just going to give myself some rough ideas. Like I think it's, you know, back left is going this way, back right is going this way, front left, front, right. And that's it. So it took them two seconds to get it while they're putting. And then they moved on guys stopped doing all the, every single, you know, four feet of the green. Cause they couldn't, you couldn't map it all down. So I don't think they even need to do that. I think if they just said, "Hey, you can't you can't use them in the tournament. If you want to go get your own notes, get your own notes. You know, if you want to waste your time out there, then then go for it." So I don't I don't agree with that. I think that's silly. So it's weird. You don't agree with something the PGA Tour has decided. That's that's weird that you would disagree with the PGA Tour because I I <laughs> just take the facts in as I see them, and I am an unbiased participant in this and i just call it like i see it i don't have a bias against the pj tour like you do <laughs> i don't have a bias against the pj tour you love the pj tour no i i just don't disagree with everything they do um agree with everything they do look, look most look, of there, there's shit yeah. there's shit that matters and there's shit that doesn't the average score on the pga tour is not getting ready to change because they don't have green reading books on the pj tour um yeah i think i think this is I think this is almost pointless. I'm, it's going to affect certain guys that rely on it. But at the end of the day, do I think it's going to make a huge shift on tour? No. At the end of the day, you, you can. It doesn't matter how well you read a putt. Unfortunately, it matters how well you're able to hit your line. If make you're able to. Exactly right. You have to hit your line. You can read the hell of it a putt, but if you're if your stroke sucks or you're not able to actually get the ball on that line, does not matter. Skill will prevail at the end of the day. 
Yeah, I remember <laughs> talking to uh, Dr. Bob Rotella um, about stuff about that in particular. And he was working with a student of his and um, and they were like, you know, they were to your point. They were working on alignment and this student was, and they kept going on and on like, I've got it. I've got it figured out. I've been working for the last six months. I can, you know, I've, I've finally figured out how to make, you know, a, a perfect stroke and I'm setting up perfectly. I got lasers up there. I'm, I can set up perfectly on every single putt. And then, you know, doc turns and looks at him and said, great. He's like, great job. Now all you have to do is learn how to read greens perfectly every time. And then you'll make every putt. And he's like, it's not going to happen. You know? So, you know, you can sit here and, you know, do all this work to try to make this perfect stroke or to set up perfectly every time. But when it's all said and done, like it's a combination of all those things, like, you know, me setting up perfectly every time and me having a perfect stroke doesn't mean that I'm going to read the, read the green correctly. It doesn't mean that the ball's going to go, going to go in the hole. I mean, Tiger Woods is a perfect example. I mean, arguably one of the most consistent, consistent strokes ever to, uh, to play golf. He was a right aimer. And he hooked the living piss out of it and tons of face rotation. I mean, if you looked at the stats, you know, if you were looking at Sam Putt Lab, which uh, tons of people have access to that, he got on it at some point and it's on there. And uh, he's uh, tons of face rotation, right aimer, hooks the, hooks the snot out of it. But the consistency, you know, marks that he, have, that he has on, the, on that system are through the roof. He just does it the same way every time. And it works for him. That, that's what allows him to read greens better than most because he's hitting the, he's hitting his lines every time, you know, it always comes down to, it's not about making a perfect stroke to start. It's about making a, a consistent stroke. If I can make a consistent stroke, now I can start seeing the lines and I can start reading greens better. But if you don't have that, then what difference does it make? You know? Well, you're able to adjust. You're able to adjust yeah. to what you need because that's how you do something so frequently. Yeah. You know, if you, and, and the great part about being a hooker, when it comes to hitting putts is that that ball starts rolling end over end much Quickly. earlier in the process. So at the end of the day, um, getting out there and being able to get that ball rolling early allows you to hit your line and get the ball online earlier than someone that even strikes the ball square because there's going to be skidding in any putt, no matter what, if anyone thinks when they make contact with a putt, that the first thing it does is start rolling end over end. They're incorrect. They've never seen slow motion footage of a putt actually being struck. There is a skidding effect to every putt that is hit. So it all depends on how how much skid. how much skid and at what yeah. point how fast does it can start you get rolling end over end. Uh, uh, and that's McLean, what I, I, remember- I think a lot of I think a lot of players, especially in the average golfer, I don't think the average golfer has enough loft on their putter because I see more forward pressing and more you know, hands up all this shit that we see all these guys do trying to put around the clubs, um, then, then on the tour. And these guys have two degrees of loft. And there are so many guys that are delivering negative loft when they make contact with their golf ball, that the, the ball, the first thing it does is it pops up in the air. Yeah. It absolutely pops up in the air. And and the fact that we have a lot of these guys still playing blade putters is beyond me. I mean, technology has shown if you look at all the top putters on tour, if you look at all the players on tour right now, if you don't have a mallet putter with the face rotation of a blade, you are giving up strokes. It has been proven that the face rotation of a blade is fantastic for the guys that need it, but the forgiveness of a mallet 
is by far better technology and superior technology because you get more out of a miss hit. Most people don't calculate miss hits on a putt. They don't even register it. It is relevant. It happens a lot. We, uh, um, we, we talked about this maybe a couple months ago. There was a, uh, there was an article that came out with the top 50 putters in the world, the strokes gain, and they went down the list. And I think it was like 35, 15 or 30, 20, between guys that used a mallet and the guys that used a, a blade putter. Um, and I mean, you're hundred percent right. I think, I think the, the, I think the guys that still use those blade putters, they haven't found the waiting. Uh, the waiting's not right. That allows them to have that, that swing that they're looking for. So that to them, they're like, for the time that it would take me to learn how to use this, I'm going to give up, you know, too much. Um, and I'm going to stick with what I have for the time being. And that's probably why they do it. But I, I agree. I think they're also you know, not experimenting with it. They're scared to experiment. Exactly. It. And, and yeah. as you know, as we are as golfers, we get very much into what we've done previously, what we can draw history on what we yeah. can, what we can draw back success on. And it's very tough for someone who's looked at a blade forever to grab some of these mounts and put the trust in it. But when you have the guys that do, a lot of times you see a lot of success and mm-hmm. there's a reason. Well, and I'll say this, it does help good putters. It helps your average putter way more. There's a yeah. reason Dustin Johnson, st- just Dustin Johnson statistics have gotten that much better with the putter since he transitioned away from the blade. You know, and I think on top of that too, I think it's, it's only been recently within the last year or two that they've even offered that, that kind of half off or the, not even that half offset, that full offset of that plumber's neck with a mallet. I mean, it was hard to find any putters that offered that it was always face balance with the, with these mallet putters and some guys that that stroke just doesn't, or that, that setup just doesn't match with the way that they, they swing the blade or swing the putter. Um, but I think that's been a big addition to offer that different neck, that neck configuration that allows that, that toe to swing a little bit. Yeah. That's just in the last two or three years. That's really in the last two years. That. They really offered that. Um, well, it's something wanna... that's now being offered kind of across the board with across most manufacturers. Board. Yeah. And I think, I think a lot of that has, there's just statistics that back it up. Yeah. You, you offer the benefit of a blade with the forgiveness of a mallet and yeah. it, the t- the technology's there. It, it makes sense. I did. I was going to see what you thought, Mike. I know you had a comment. So, but M- McLean, the one thing I remember when I was on those, you know, the Sam Putt Lab, and um, there was another thing that I used. Biomech was another one that sensors on the on the shaft and on the putter. And but you can you can and this could be helpful for somebody, you know, if they want to err towards you know having a putter or stroke that was dead straight down the line or maybe even cutting across as opposed to having more of that hook that hook, you know, path. You can you can a- attack the ball from one to two, almost two and a half degrees from the inside, an inside path, almost like you're hooking a putt. And the ball will still start online and roll appropriately and stay on its line from one to two degrees inside. But if as soon as I get a degree outside or making a a cut stroke one degree outside, now this ball starts jumping all over the place with with almost adding spin to it. So you've got a margin of error is better for you to err towards hooking a putt than it would be for you to have that that blade ever so slightly, you know, cutting across it. It's 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 way more about face angle than it is so much about path. Well, path also does influence it though, Mike, you know, when you talk about adding spin or adding that cut spin, you talk about really affecting speed. And Um, the beauty of the hook stroke is that 
it it provides uh, a little bit of a higher MOI. You, you're able to generate a little bit better speed where you get much more inconsistent speed with anything that's pro- that's providing um, some sort of a cut stroke or an outside to inside blow with a putter. I'm giving, and I was giving the, 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 the base point that the face is squared impact. If, if I were to make a stroke and have the face return to impact square to my target line, square to my target line. And I'm, I've got, I've got two degrees of, of wiggle room. If I'm making that in to out path, as opposed to no wiggle room if I'm if I'm cutting across it, given the fact that if every putt that I with all those putts all being the same that the face is square, I I've got two degrees worth of worth of wiggle room. I don't have to be perfect as long as I'm somewhere within that two degree mark swinging in to out, and I have a square square uh, face. That ball's still going to hit its line and stay on its line. Whereas if I'm one degree from the outside, now I'm I'm this ball's I'm adding loft, adding spin. And the ball, it's easy for this thing to jump offline because it's not it's not rolling as quickly off the blade. Um, yeah, I, I I get that. But if I'm going to have a student work on something, I would be have them work on face angle, face angle, face angle. Because ninety percent of where yeah. the golf ball starts coming off the putter face it has to do with where the face is. Sure, no no question. I mean, obviously the face angle is the most important part, but it's just nice to know where you would want to error your stroke to. Like you wouldn't want to I mean there's plenty of there's plenty of people that you work with that you know that they're they're cutting across the ball, you know, 2 3 4 5 degrees. Like you need to address that just yeah. just as much as you would face angle. So if you're going to teach face angle, let's teach them to do it from more of a down the down the target line or an inside to out you know, stroke rather than trying to teach them how to get the face square from, you know, cutting across it two or three degrees. No. And, and so, there's, you look at Billy Mayfair, you know, he, he cut across it pretty good, but one of the reasons he was successful because his face angle was very consistent every time it was his path weird. was consistent and his face angle was consistent, but that's how he did it in, with success. It was weird. If, if you look at the, yeah, it, we can probably pull his Sam putt lab stats up too. He really didn't cut across it that much. It looked like that. He would take the putter up, up and shut and then back down. So from our point of view, when they would show the stroke, it looked like he was, you know, cutting across it, but really it was just picking the putter up and kind of, it was really bizarre. He was trying, he was probably trying to do straight back straight through, which probably, does not, which does which, not exist, which is not a real so, thing. For those listeners out there, straight back, straight through does not exist. I'm okay with you feeling like you're trying to make a straight back, straight through stroke. I am completely yeah. fine with that. But in actuality, the putter and putter face cannot go straight back, straight through. We are working at angles here. Unless we were had a 90 degree, the shaft was coming 90 degrees out of the face and your arms were 90 degrees and then your spine angle was completely perpendicular, then you can get a straight back, straight through. There's a, couple, there's a couple weird ways around that, but I think the amount of changes that you have to make, like you're saying, anatomically, we're all connected a certain way. So, you know, I've seen some weird configurations where you stand kind of the side with the forward, your hand, the hands are, are, are forward pressed a, a ton. And the way that it works, you're able to kind of keep it closer to a straight back and straight through path. But it's, like I said, I think you're, when you try to do that, you, you, you're, you're going against how the body naturally you're works. You're manipulating more, your, yeah. your forearms and your wrists. Exactly. And then it's like, well, wait, what am I doing? Like I'm, I'm making it more hard. I'm making it harder on my body to try to keep this face square. And then the, the, it, how, how often can I do that by making this weird, this weird body motion? So 
And one thing I was, I was going to say earlier, we've got pretty far off on when McLean mentioned it. I will push back slightly on the whole loft on a putter issue. I think to me, it's more about point of contact and angle of attack to get a ball rolling than it is so much about loft. I think if you can raise the contact point on the golf ball and catch it slightly on the upswing, you're going to get that balling rolling end over end. So there's a study out there by MIT, uh, worked in conjunction with uh, Michael Breed years ago, that they put, I forget how many putters it was. It went from negative like five degrees to like nine degrees aloft on a robot. And the one with the ball rolled the furthest and most consistent was actually negative three degrees aloft. What was the uh, amount of forward press applied with the robot? There wasn't. I don't believe. I'd have to go back and look at it. But as far as it's all about what loft you impact on it. Dynamic loft and impact with the putter. So if I have a golf ball, for all the listeners out there, I always use an example when when I teach my students. All right, how about this? You have a spare tire on a ground and you need to roll it. Where are you going to push with that? You're going to push on the top half of that that tire and you're going to push up. You're not going to push below the equator of that tire because that thing's going to start bouncing. If you want that thing to roll, you're going to push up on the above, above the equator of that tire. So when I hit a putt, I want to hit above the equator of the golf ball slightly on upswing to get that thing rolling end over end. I do not want to get underneath it with my loft below the equator. Yeah, but I think, yeah, I, I agree. But then it, then it, I think I think you're looking at this in a much larger a larger threshold. I, I'm I'm looking at adding one to two degrees of loft. I think instead of having two to three for most players, four to five is probably better for the majority of players that we see that have. If you look at your a lot of your amateur golfers, their trigger to pull the putter back is a decent amount of forward press. And all I'm saying is that moving it from two to three into the four to five window allows them to present um, a little bit more applicable loft than it does negative loft. Now I will say that I also a, see a you talk about how someone hang on, hang on, hang on there, chief, a robot, a robot tends to present a very, very consistent stroke. A robot also tends to not, like I, I guess I covered it when I said consistent, but they're not going to float up and down. Their bodies aren't going to float around. I, I think there's a lot less variables when it comes into a robot oh, hitting, a, hitting a golf ball versus a human being. And the thing that I will say from a fitting standpoint and you know, experience being in that field for the little bit of time that I've been there um, is that when you have a guy that delivers proper loft to a golf ball it becomes very evident quickly because it, it, it's visibly um evident that the ball is rolling quicker so a lot of guys may start with a forward press but most of the time the biggest flaw i see at impact is the shaft leaning backwards and people flipping at it with their right hand and therefore adding more loft to it at actual impact no matter what they do to start or the they, stroke or they or they make a better stroke and so it really so, just comes but, down to what, all right, all right, what, is, all right. what is loft at impact? What right, is loft so, at impact is really what Jay, matters. Yeah, exactly. Jay, you, and that's what you I said bring, at the no, beginning. You, you it's where the contact point, point is. No, you yeah. bring up a good point, though. Make a better stroke. So the guys that are doing that are not properly instructed. The guys that are doing that are guys that are not actively trying to get better. Yeah. If you have a guy that's pulling up and flipping at a putter and he's breaking down his wrist at, at a putt, 
he's not someone that is, or he's at the very beginning stage of his pursuit towards um, uh, being a better golfer. Um, And I'm not trying to put that person down, but I'm more talking to the person that is properly instructed and has some sort of basic technique to what they're doing. Not someone who is making a, such an, I hesitate to say egregious move, but an an invalid move to a certain degree. If you're flipping at a putt, you're not someone that has taken proper instruction and and who has invested a decent amount of time in practicing what they're doing. Correct. You're, you're looking, you're looking at this from talking about a loft standpoint as a fitter, I'm looking at it from an instructor. I want to improve that guy's contact point and path through the golf ball. And you're exactly right. And I think that may be that step right before what I'm talking about. You know, you may, you may be talking about step two and I'm talking about step three. I, I'm, I'm talking about someone who's making technic, technically sound moves over the golf club. Someone who is probably a single digit to low double digit handicap that has the ability to shoot in the high seventies as they do the mid eighties that can jump up and make a technically sound move over a golf ball. All I see a lot of times from these guys, and I fit a lot of them, um, that are anywhere in that single to mid-double-digit handicap is I see a big, uh, a large amount of them have that trigger to where they apply a decent amount of forward press to the golf ball. Would you guys disagree or agree that you guys see a lot of guys in that window that apply a decent amount of forward press? I feel like it's a very common trigger. Yeah. I, I don't think it's as common as you do, but I actually teach most of my guys to forward press more because I don't think guys do it enough. And I'm just saying maybe it's just maybe the guys I work with are just different than what you see, but there's no I think I mean it comes down to in the oh, end. Yeah. I, I think it's it, it I mean d- depending on the the teacher like Mike or you know McLean the fitter, I mean this is a good this is actually kind of cool because you both have your own opinions on it, but when it comes down to it, it's like, what is, what is the, what's the, the, the lofted impact? What's the dynamic lofted impact? Is this putter swinging at zero? And then you have two degrees of lofted impact, or is the putter at, is the putter loft at zero and you're swinging up on it one degree, you know, what is that? That magic number is right around zero, one degrees, one degree of loft. From what I've, my understanding, maybe a degree of loft, you want one degree of dynamic loft. So however you get there is different. So if you're Zach Johnson, you can have a zero, you know, putter with zero degrees of loft because you, you've got your hands back and you're swinging up one and that blade is kind of swinging past your hands and you're, you're adding one degree of loft through impact. And you're, you're reaching that, that optimal, optimal launch off the putter face, or you're somebody who has a lot of forward press and you've got two or three degrees of loft. Um, and you have that shaft leaning as you swing through and you're swinging up on it, maybe, a, maybe negative one degrees. So, you know, whatever, whatever gets that optimal launch at, you know, I always was under, under, under the impression that was around one degree. It just, just enough to get it out of its little impression that it sits in, which is hardly even relevant anymore because the greens are it's, so firm. It's and very fast. irrelevant these days. Um, but one degree of loft, just just to make sure. I mean, one degree. We're talking. That's that's enough to just enough to get it to skid. I mean, I've heard people say they want it at zero. So if your your dynamic loft's at zero, zero to one degrees, that's going to give you that optimal roll. So it's different. You know, McLean, you're looking at it from more of a a general 
uh, general idea, you know, like most guys have their hands too far back at him or, or they lean the, the club too much. They need more loft to get that, that optimal spot. Whereas Mike, you would say I would fit them. I would fit them to match the way that they putt. Um, well, way, I think we're actually, talk, we're actually part. talking about, we're actually talking about two different flaws. He's talking about the guy that forward presses it and then maintains that shaft lean through impact. And he thinks that guy needs more loft. I'm talking about the guy who flips his hand and is adding loft. So sure, we're certainly sure. talking sure. about two different players, but, but it's two different players, but you want the same, you guys are trying to get to the same, trying to get to the goal. same spot. You want that zero yeah, to my, one degree. my only, my only point with the guy that's flipping, I think is he's not at that point to where you can accurately assess the amount of loft that he needs. I don't think he's presenting a consistent enough stroke that you can identify a loft that allows him to actually improve based off of a loft adjustment. Would you agree with that, Mikey? Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got to fix the stroke to determine what's going to happen. Until you're able to provide a consistent stroke, loft is uh, almost irrelevant. Uh, once you're able to provide a consistent stroke, you can then bear down on loft and lie angle and start to take advantage of making the sweet spot larger. Um, it's, you it's can like always... It's like you're trying to fit somebody for a driver and and they make 15 different swings and 20, 20, you know, 20 balls on the range. Right. You're like, well, well you'd be surprised more, more swings are way more consistent than people think there's yeah. way more consistent than people think they are. But the thing that I don't think a lot of people understand is that missing a golf ball by an eighth of an inch to a quarter of an inch is a huge difference. I mean, 20 yards in some, in, in some instances. Um, so it's a, it's a widely different feeling. So guys say, Oh, I'm all over the place today. You're off by an eighth of an inch yeah, or a quarter of an inch. It's not as big of an adjustment. It's so funny. If you go watch yourself, if you've ever watched video of you having an off day versus an on day, you can, you can pick out maybe a little bit of timing differences, but the overall swing still looks fairly similar. It's not like you you've you've trans you've transformed into a different golfer entirely. Your swing's way more consistent. You're still doing a lot of things the right way. Your timing gets off slightly. Um, but for the for the average golfer, it's a different scenario than what you're facing, Jay. Yeah, no, I mean, you're right. I was just saying in general, like mo- most of the guys you fit, you know, it's like, you know, if there's if they're if they don't play enough golf. They are hitting the ball all over the face, and it's tough to to fit them. I think when when they're swinging all you know all over the all over the place. Whereas the putter, you know, it's such a short stroke. You would think that it would be a lot easier to make consistent stroke, but you're saying that it's still they're still going to be all over the place with those as well. Well, think I mean, in the simplest form, um, think about a guy like Charles Howell who strikes the ball as good as anyone out there and doesn't putt as good as the other guys, you know, his ball striking versus his putting um, they're on kind of two different ends of the spectrum. You know, he's one of the top ball strikers out there. Statistically, he's one of the um, not one of the better putters out there. I I, I don't want to say he's one of the worst putters out there. Cause I don't feel like that's a fair statement um, because he probably wouldn't be able to keep his card, but he's not one of the better putters out there. He's not known for his putting. He hasn't been able to win as much because of his putting. When you look at some of the guys, when it goes, when that boils down to the amateur side of things, there's guys out there that can hit the ball 400 yards and two strikes, no problem and do it 
fairly um, efficiently. But yeah. once they get on the greens or if they miss the greens, they struggle to make a par, much less five or six. I mean, if a, there's some of these guys that can hit 280-yard drives, hit a nine iron 150 yards, and look pretty solid doing it. But if they hit it in the bunker, they can't make a six. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 that's how crazy it is. I mean, I think that's that's where it all boils down to. But, you know, I mean, I think we're, I'm getting a little bit off topic here. But, you know, at the end of the day, there, there's some there's some separation there. Yeah. Yeah. So short story long, the PJ Tours banning uh, green ring books. <laughs> is that how we got started? <laughs> that's where we started. It. I love I love when we pick pick your brain about fitting and then you, Mikey you about you know instruction. I think it's kind of cool, you know, just to yeah. get your perspective on stuff like that. I, that's that's how yeah. we roll in this show. We start one where, and thirty minutes later, we're in a completely different area. Yeah, except for last week, we were in the same fucking spot for thirty minutes. Yeah, we really we really dove in deep on that. <laughs> Shout out to Bermuda Tourism. <laughs> So, all right, we're we're running along. We still got to do our picks here. I got to give a shout out to our girl Austin Ernst today, down at um, LPJ event in Naples, Pelican, whatever pro am today. Makes a hole in one and wins a Lamborghini. That's incredible, and it's fucking bright green too. So here's the question: What do you do with this Lamborghini? Do you keep it because you want it and it's cool, or do you turn around and sell it right away and take the cash? So I think she's so only she won a two-year lease. It's, it's only a lease. lease. The lease. Yeah. Yeah, it's a roadster, it. and it's the same color as money. And I promise you, I'd be valeting that son of a bitch at every place I went to. I'd be pissed when I pulled up somewhere and they didn't have valet. I'd be like, <laughs> can we can we hire someone off the street? How do we make this work? I mean. I, I don't know. I, I love this. I think it's fantastic. Austin's Austin's hilarious. And it's so funny because she might be the last person that would ever drive this car. But yeah, she's going to be whipping around South Florida. I can't wait to hopefully run into her. I want to, I um, want to, hopefully she brings us to Richmond. I'm going to text her tomorrow and say, Hey, you better pull into the foundry next time you show up in this thing. Well, oh, it's a awesome. two year lease. So I wonder if she's got a mileage uh, oh, yeah. restriction. Uh, she's she got to keep on it. But Hey, regardless, I mean, I would be, <laughs> I promise you, I, I'd be, I'd be tearing some rubber up. I don't, oh, I'd I don't be know. driving I, that thing everywhere. I'd be me. driving the absolute wheels off of it. I mean, putting drive it like you stole it. Bumper stickers on it. Um, <laughs> you know, it'd be egregious. I'd probably take out a billboard. Bumper stickers. How awesome would that be if you put bumper stickers on this? It, it literally just Lamborghini. drive it like you stole it on the back of a Lamborghini. Get it where you fit in. <laughs> I wish you could fit in. I wish you could fit, get in where you fit in on a license plate. I'm still looking for the state where that's a possibility. Um, they give you like however many characters that is. You got eight. You got eight. You figure out a way to, to make, get in where you fit in with eight characters. That's hard. Yeah. That's tough. Yeah. I got nothing. Yeah. You just gotta have two cars. One with get in and where you fit in on the other one. <laughs> get in where you and fit in. So I put one on my company car, one on Tori's car and one on my golf cart. There yeah. you go. And you got to park them all together. Baller. Baller. <laughs> so, all right. I want to get to the Houston Open. Do it. We uh, we got another PJ Tour <laughs> event this week before the Saudis take over. We are in Houston. Um, <laughs> I keep throwing these little lines in there, Jane. You always take about 12 seconds longer yep. than I thought to is it Focus. Is, focus. Does anyone find it funny that they're in 
Texas and not necessarily in oil country, but the Saudis oil, oil and nothing. Just me. Still there. There's still a connection. Still there's there. a connection. There's a yeah. connection. There's a connection. I'm not sure it's as funny or as ironic as you think, but um, <laughs> it's actually not. It sounded so much better in my head. And I thought that I was going to be able to it win. It would have been better plane. if it was the it was old struggle. Shell Houston Open, but it's no the longer that. Shell Houston Open would have been better. I think Shell backed the Saudi League, if I'm not mistaken. It's now the Hewlett Packard Enterprise Houston Open. They are at Memorial Park Golf Course. Which is the only the second year of them hosting this. Tom Doak, um, I'm pretty sure it's a municipal course that Tom Doak redid a couple of years ago. So yeah, I mean, I think this course, this this is where they hosted the Houston Open um, from '46 to '63, and it was redone, redesigned. I guess they put up like 15 million dollars, added some yardage, 7,400 yards now. Well, there you um, go. Yeah, it's hard. I think I, mean, I don't know. You could probably pull this up, Mikey. I think it ranked like one of the third, third toughest course to relative to par. I think in terms of scoring. Yeah. Average. So um, um, well, maybe well, not third. Here. Maybe maybe it wasn't that. Maybe it was so it was the top ten. Yeah, it was the scoring average of seventy one point oh two five was the second highest of all par seventies. On the PGA you. Tour, so uh, I'm sure there's and more data here if I keep reading this article. Yeah, eight, but yeah, it's eight, up there. It's it's tough. Manning course on tour. After that, yeah. So it I mean, hard. it's hard. It looks like you know greens are hitting greens are an absolute premium, which it always is. But sounds like here um, it, it's even more so the case. Five par threes, three par fives, 7,400 yards par 70. So yeah, That's it's pretty uh, good. Bring it's it. pretty long. Pretty long for a par 70. Yeah. So who uh Carlos Ortiz, <clears throat> excuse me, um the defending champ just WD today. So he is not in the field. Wow. He just finished second at Mayakoba, defending champ, and then WDs for an injury. I'm uh. not sure what he injured or when. Maybe he was getting too rowdy in down in Mexico in his home country. Sunday night and went to El Fagone too many times. There you go. Wherever the fuck that place is. That's the best taco spot down there. Yeah. Awesome. So anybody want to go? Defending yep. champ I'm, McLean? I'm ready to go. All right. Could not be more dialed. Could not be more. All right. Dialed. So Mito, per- Mito Pereira, Ryan Palmer, then who's your Mito next Mito Pereira, Ryan Palmer, <laughs> Mark Leishman. Sam Burns, Maverick McNeely, and Grayson Sig. Get them where you fit in. I don't need to give explanations because it's just I fucking win. That's what I do. <laughs> That's why I picked them because I'm trying to fucking win. Love it. That's all, all right. Time. I'll bring all it. Right. You've won like two of a hundred this year, and you're getting really cocky all of a sudden. I'm the defending champion. I'm feeling <laughs> good about it. <laughs> I get to play the next three weeks for free. <laughs> I'm super excited. I'll have to tell my wife why I made another DraftKings. And she kills me. She's like, I see you made another DraftKings deposit. <laughs> Never see any withdrawals, but see the deposits. <laughs> oh, all right. I'm starting from the bottom. I'm going with uh, Joseph Bramlett. Uh, 6,200 bucks. A good ball striker. Um, he's kind of been a, a little shaky here to start. But like I said, good ball striker on a good tough golf course. So. Uh, then I jump up to Grayson Sig. I've got him on there too. That's kind of weird. Uh, but another really good ball striker. 
I'm, I'm going to see how many times I can say ball striker. Um, <laughs> cause I want to go with six. Yeah. Uh, all these guys are really good ball strikers. <laughs> Let me just say that now. So I can just say it one time. Um, Would you feel like this course is a ball strikers paradise? <laughs> ball strikers paradise. Um, Grayson six, 6,700 bucks. Hold on real fast. I'm going to interrupt you. You know, for a guy who cares so much about ball striking, we just had a long putting conversation. I just want to state that. I, I, hey, I love, I love putting. I mean, I, I wish I were a good ball striker. Um, I'm average, but <laughs> said it again. I am. I'm, I'm a average ball striker. One more time. Um, ball striking is key. Ball striking is key. Where do I go from here? Oh, I got Patrick Reed. Um, he's, Great ball striker. Here, I'm going to change it up. The course is long. I feel like guys have a hard time hitting greens, and he's got the best short game on tour. So I feel like he can... If he gets hot with the putter, he may be able to find his way into the top 10. So there you go. I guarantee you don't have a bad lie all week. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, then Aaron Wise, obviously coming off of uh, a good finish uh, last week, okay. the week before. He's been just playing some good good golf. Um, then uh, 9,300 Taylor Gooch. Played well again last week, week before. So he's playing some solid golf. And then Joaquin. Neiman, top five finish last week. Good yeah, ball striker. Good golf, man. Good ball striker. Great ball striker. Great hits ball the, striker. Hits the fucking pellet like it's. I mean, I mean, he hits the low pellet like it's nobody's business. I, like I mean, if you want to go watch someone hit impressive golf shots, just watch him flight his irons. I mean, even yes. his driver. I mean, he hits the three foot driver at like 182 ball speed at 143 pounds, soaking wet. I want to. I want to um, see. I want to see his uh, his ball at impact, like in that super super ultra slow mo video. Uh, I want to see an iron an iron with him, um, like a like a stinger iron shot and like super slow motion. I bet it looks pretty sick. Definitely does. Definitely does. Mikey, what you got? All right, I'm just trying to figure out how to not say ball striking on my uh, squad here. So you don't have any good ball strikers? No, I do, but I don't want to say it. You don't have a choice. <laughs> so I'm going to go as far as the bottom, $6,900. Uh, Luke List. Great ball striker. Hits Great the ball, ball a long striker. way. Great ball striker. And he plays tough golf courses well. Has had pretty hit or miss results recently. Miscut top 10, miscut top 20. So uh, he's a little bit of a wild card. He's all over the place, but he has the game um, for that kind of place. He always seems to play well, like the Honda, which is kind of a tough, tough. similar place. So yeah. I'll go Luke List there. Then I will climb up the board to Chad Ramey. Great ball striker. Great ball striker. He hits the ball well. Shout, shout out to Jalen Dell, buddy of mine from college. <sighs> He sent me a message this week about he picked Chad Ramey a couple of weeks ago when he played decent. And he said, if you say ball striker one more time on this podcast, and here I am, I've just dropped ball striker like 20 times in the last two minutes. So here's to you, Jay Lindell. I, I can't Jay, believe how Jay well doing? I haven't seen Jay in forever. He's doing, he's doing well. He's, uh, he's up in Buffalo. Uh, family, good, great family up there. He's got a couple. Stay kids. on topic, you fuck. Sorry. He's a, Jesus yeah, he's, a, he's a male, he's a mailman in, uh, in Buffalo and he's just, just loving, loving life. Here we are. All right. So I'm moving on. Sorry. McCoy. Probably a good ball striker in his, in his own right. I, uh, one of the best ball strikers. Ever he, played. Actually, he no was, joke. I can, I can second <laughs> he, that. Yeah. Um, unbelievable. Here we are. Here we are. So here we are. 
My next one, 7,900 Mackenzie Hughes. Great ball striker. <laughs> actually, I took him for another reason. So I was reading an article about this golf course, and they say putting is actually pretty key. Um, I meant to take him. He's last a, he's year. A, he's a good pick this week. He's a, good he's a great, great putter. Uh, had a top 10 at Zozo. It's made up actually every cut so far that he's played on the tour this season. So I'm going to go Mackenzie Hughes. He's there, 7,900. Solid, solid player. What was he at? 6,900? 7,900. Oh, okay. I was like, wow. I didn't and again, pretty good value at 7,900. Yeah. Uh, then I'm going to go up to Maverick McNeely. Been playing really well. Um, this fall, this fall series. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you know what I've noticed about Maverick's game that I really like? Great ball striker. <laughs> <laughs> how many more? How many more do we have left, Mike? I don't know. If just, we can... just two more guys, and you've already taken both of them. Um, so Taylor Gooch just playing his ass off recently. Yeah. Seems like he's really hitting it well. Simple as that. Really fun good, in the center of the face. Good ball striker. Yep. <laughs> I don't even want to continue. But um, and then last, uh, <laughs> Wa- Joaquin Neiman took him last week. He played great. They uh, DraftKings realized they undervalued him. He was like seven eight hundred last week. Now he's ninety five hundred this week. But uh, I like him on this golf course, and I feel somewhat happy about my team. No, I think I think the Joaquin pick's pretty solid. I mean, I think we already cover it, but you know, he's a he's playing well. He's a you know great ball star. <laughs> Even I'm getting how many sick points of it now? do we get for that many ball striker? And I mean, I feel like we should. We Who should says get- you get points? <laughs> <laughs> the fucking thirteen people still listening. They voted and sent me an email midway through the show that's not live. <laughs> Oh man. So if we do have any listeners left after that, <laughs> thank you <laughs> for listening. Hopefully you took something out of that. I know what I took out of it. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I'll kind of leave the door open there for you. <laughs> um, no, good luck to you boys in your DraftKings lineups. I uh I have not won in a while, so that means that, Mikey, been... that means Mikey's won a lot because if you haven't won, McLean and no. I haven't won. No, but if if there's some chance that I defend this week, I promise I won't mention it the entire episode next week. Like, <laughs> I won't. I'll hardly talk about it. I remember the first time I won a DraftKings contest. Yeah, me too. It was last, yeah, like yesterday. Yeah, thanks. So, all right, thank you to our listeners. Um, we'll be getting this out tomorrow. Please, again, like, share, subscribe, tell your friends, get our name out there. And Jay and I will uh, give you a full recap of our drunken gambling weekend in Boston. Not really, no. but only if I win a lot of money, will I give you a recap. Yeah. And the odds of that are pretty well, slim. I won't hear anything <laughs> about it, especially if it has to do with any good ball striking. You won't hear a damn thing about that. No, we won't. It has nothing to do with ball striking because the clubs are not coming with us. No, it's no, we get, there. we got our wives. Well, I have my wife. Jay's by himself. With some other couples, yeah. Jay's like the eleventh wheel on this trip. Yeah. That's what. That's fine. Whatever. I'll have a good time. <laughs> All right, folks. We appreciate it. Take care. Cheers.